Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Aloha, everyone. I'm here in Park City, Utah, and I just did a a podcast with Jocelyn Harvey, which you will listen to right after this intro. And uh, there are dogs here, so there's a little bit of barking in the episode. We're going to try to edit it out as best we can, but I apologize if you hear some dogs. The FedEx man came, and they got very excited. And it's been great to spend time with them. Right now, there's one on each uh, each of my feet. So I have a special dog warmer, <laughs> dog foot warmers, which is cool. And this interview is great. I've been a big fan of Jocelyn's writing and of her work and just her persona and who she is as a human is really refreshing. So I was glad for the opportunity to sit down and talk with her. And she really has a lot of beautiful insights to share And I will let those speak for themselves as you listen to the episode, but I I know you'll enjoy it. And um, she's just a lovely human. So please go check out her website and everything. And then I am also putting on the next uh, cohort of Sober, Calm, and Wild. Um, So I'm teaching a five-week course starting April 19th called Sober, Calm, and Wild. It is an awesome course. This is the first time that the course is going to be five weeks instead of four because there's so much content and information um, that I like for there to be a little bit more time for integration to happen. So if you are a sober woman or if you are a woman who really is struggling with anxiety and or boundary setting, this course addresses those things in particular. It's called Sober, Calm, and Wild because we work with establishing calm within our nervous system, being able to create a new baseline state within our nervous system that feels more like you, that feels less reactive. And then from there, we work on that that wild piece, which for me is all about stepping into healthy assertion, stepping into having good boundaries and being able to really feel those and embody them in our lives. So I'll put the, I'll put the link to sign up for the course. You can go and read a little bit more information. There's testimonials from women who have taken it before. I really like it. I think it's great foundational work for some the somatic experiencing tools and just more more tools to put in your pocket, but also it provides the start of a system-wide change, which feels really good. So you end up feeling different. And that's my favorite part about this work is the felt sense difference that comes along with it. So the early bird price is good until April 14th. I think this will release before then. Um, I will do my best to get it out before then so that you can take advantage of it. And I hope to see you in the class. I'm pretty excited about it. And otherwise, I'm really enjoying being in in Utah. It's interesting. Um, It was snowing the day I got here, which was a little bizarre coming from warm and and sunny San Diego. Uh, But it's beautiful. I sleep really well at altitude, I'm realizing. And the dogs, well, well, they they are quite lively, but they're good company. So we've been having a nice time together. And without further ado, I'll I'll let you enjoy the episode with Jocelyn. Um, Thanks so much for listening. If you can, please, please like, please subscribe, please tell one friend about the show. If you're inspired to leave a review, I really appreciate that. And uh, enjoy this episode. It's a lovely one. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. Take care of yourself. 
Hi, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And with me today, I have the lovely Jocelyn Harvey, who is a certified success coach for women and a writer. And I've been sort of stalking her on Instagram for a while. Stalking isn't the right word, but I really love her content and what she puts out there. So um, thank you so much for being here, Jocelyn. I'm excited to chat with you today. Oh, thanks so much. And yeah, now that I'm like not on Instagram, it's a little harder to stalk me, but um, people (laughs) still manage to find me. Actually, I just got like a ton of emails from this agency, like pitching people to be on my podcast. So like they still find you when you go off of the Instagram. (laughs) That's great. I mean, that's kind of a nice email to get. (laughs) It's like the friendly kind of stalking that you want. There should be a different word for that. That's sort of like stalking, but doesn't have the negative connotation. Is there a word for that? Watching from afar. Watching from afar, <laughs> joyfully observing from a distance. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a little softer than the word stalking. So I know we chatted just a little bit before um, we started recording today, but I'd love if you could just tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your own journey. I know you're a woman in recovery as well, and just share a little bit about your your story, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. So in terms of the recovery story, I just turned 30 last month and I got sober in January, 2016. So right before I turned 25. So I had my big five this year. And even though I was young relatively when I got sober, I just, I was a daily heavy, sad drinker lots and lots of wine, lots of cocktails. And um, my body just gave out on me, really, thankfully. My mind gave out on me too, but like it it really was the body that got me. And I stopped drinking. I never had thought of reducing. I just thought I had to keep drinking the way I was drinking. And it's amazing how much the space has changed over time because when I got sober, I don't really think sober curious was a phrase or if it was only like it, it wasn't blasted out everywhere. When I got sober, it was like shameful to drink rosé, which is like everywhere. (laughs) So it's amazing how how fast things change because it's only been five plus years. But yeah, so I got sober and and life was better (laughs) and then it was worse (laughs) at times. But yeah, there was a lot of therapy I did. I initially started in 12-step work. I also did a lot of online healing within like uh, spirituality, wellness, getting to know myself, mindset. And I guess the thing is like every year is like a little different. I get a little softer every year, which I really like. I feel like this is definitely my year of softness. And yeah, I just, I'm always grateful for my sobriety because I, I don't, I don't think I'd be here if I didn't get sober. So it's something that I really care about, but my relationship to it has definitely changed over time. Um, so yeah, that's my sobriety story. And when I'm not like deeply focusing on various work. Um, I like taking naps. I love going on walks along Lake Champlain. I currently live in Burlington, Vermont, but I'm moving to Buffalo shortly. Um, And I love reading books, all kinds of books. So (laughs) that's what I do on my like downtime. That's wonderful. I know, you know, Africa Brooke as well. I I interviewed her and she really was so inspiring about the nap taking. It really, I really loved her perspective on it. I'm sure there's many people that do, but after I talked to her, I was like, yeah, more naps. Uh, and I really like that approach to life in general. And I like that you said this is your year of softness. How does that show up in your life for you? Like being more soft or having more softness? Oh, I'm just so, 
I'm not a mom. So I'm sorry if this, if any moms are listening, I was like, that's not what it's like. But I feel like when you see the commercials, they're like first time moms and you're just like all over your kid and everything's done perfectly. And the second time you're just like, okay, like do what you want. Like your your clothes, your bed, I loved you. Like it's all going to work out. And I feel like that's how I am with myself. Like I still set goals. I still have ambitions, but I'm a lot softer about how they come about. I'm not really as nearly as rigid. I'm kinder to myself and I don't, I don't treat myself like a workhorse anymore. I'm still in the corporate environment. I came from the corporate environment. I had a lot of that whole like worth tied into how much I could do. Um, And I do have low energy at times, but when I get bursts of it, I get a lot. So I would just I was doing a lot really from 2019. That's when I wrote my book. 2020. So 2019, I wrote my book. I was also dealing with like really bad chronic pain before a surgery. Last year, I was getting what is now my business up and running. So I was just going, going, going for two years. And finally, I was like, I haven't reached burnout, but I don't want to get there. I've been there before. So I'm just going to relax and see what that feels like. And this is a very new experiment, like in the past two months. And Oh, and getting off of Instagram was a big part of that as well, being a lot softer with myself, but it made space to be gentle and just enjoy, enjoy the days. Yeah. It's so important. How do you, and I know when you're kind of balancing corporate work as well as an entrepreneurship and creating your business, how do you feel like the softness well, actually, let me ask this. How has like gotten off Instagram? Because I think in the entrepreneur world, there is this focus of like, you got to be on all the platforms and like post regularly and do all this stuff and have content. And how has that affected or changed your business at all? People have asked me that too, who have been in business and they were like, how do you do it? I want to do it. And I will say that I have, if you want to look at it, the privilege of being new in my business and getting it started. I've done a few courses. I've learned that I don't love putting out courses and and putting out self-guided as much as I thought, but I hadn't reached a point where I was consistently getting monthly, you know, revenue or consistently getting clients to work with. So I realized if there's any time to step back, now is the time before I start having those golden handcuffs or even the bronze handcuffs of feeling like I need to stay on this platform. And still working a nine to five. I mean, the sexy thing to do is just quit your job and take a leap and the universe slash your parents trust fund. <laughs> I know, like, and then how do you pay for food then? <laughs> you know, all these things will just work out magically somehow. But having this job has been really beautiful because it's giving me so much patience to just let things come together. So, I mean, yeah, I'm working two jobs, but it's, I don't have that stress and worry of how am I going to feed myself or pay rent or health insurance. And it's really nice to have that. And I feel like more people are talking about that too. (laughs) Definitely. It's nice to have that. And I feel like if you're creating a business, no matter really what it is, but especially with coaching, if you're coming at it from this place of, I need these clients to to like, to pay for my lifestyle, the energy of it is really different and weird. And there's like an area of desperation around that, that doesn't really feel good for people. Doesn't, it wouldn't feel good for me as a coach. And I don't think it would feel good for people wanting to work with me. So it's, I think there's a lot to be said for, yeah, for having the the privilege, I guess, of having a regular job and having financial stability. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I used to be like, okay, at the end of this year, at the end of this month or by this time, that's when I'm going to leave. And now I'm just like, I'm going to leave when I'm going to leave. Hopefully when I leave, I have 
consistent enough clients and I have a good padding in my savings account, but I'm not putting so many constraints on top of it. And I've also opened up the idea of maybe, maybe I keep two clients and that's what I enjoy doing. And I continue to have, you know, my full-time job and just see where it goes. So I'm, yeah, I don't force myself as much as I used to. Yeah. I couldn't imagine that feels a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I really like your, um, your approach that I saw on your website with, with coaching around tapping into like our greatness that's already there or looking at what we're already good at or how we've already like achieved certain goals or shown up for ourselves in our lives rather than continuing to sort of dig around in, in the muck about, well, what else do I need to work on and what needs to be healed? Um, can you just speak a little bit more about that approach? Because it certainly seems like that's something that you you put into practice in your own life. But I love that that's at least one of your angles with coaching. I think that's such a huge, important distinction to make that it's not always just about like, do the work, do the work. <laughs> no, thank you. And the approach, that whole process, I've tweaked a little, but I learned it from the woman, uh, Jody, who trained me in coaching, though it definitely plays into, you know, my belief being in the wellness spirituality world of like, ugh, there's always some evil shadow that we have. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so when I was doing coach training, she brought me through that process. And then she read the things that I am and I said them back, you know, I'm hardworking, I'm poised, I'm kind, like all these things. And I just started crying. And I always joke that I cry like five times a year. I've just never been a big crier. And, um, and I've done it for women and I've gotten some of them to cry too. <laughs> but I said to her, you know, and you're, you're probably going to be able to relate to this. I've never had someone say all those nice things back to me or said those about myself. I don't think most people have. And in fact, a list I used to have was a list of my character defects. Mm -hmm. And I would say that my character defects list, um, which I don't have anymore, um, but depending sometimes on who you work with when you develop it, sometimes they're like, okay, what's the positive of that? But still, it's like I had a list of all the things that were, quote, wrong with me that were bad about myself. And like, yeah, of course, some of those things like are true. I'm not going to say I'm a perfectly perfect human being who has no foibles. But I, I had a lot of lists and journals over the years from recovery, from spirituality, from mindset of what was wrong with me. And to be like, that's just a messed up way to go through life. But that's how so many of us do. So why don't we start our coaching experience together? That's the first work I take women through in our our call together, like feel good about yourself, like be excited. This is going to be a fun, gentle journey. This is a treat. It's actually language I'm trying to infuse more is like, yeah, coaching is an investment, but that just gets hit all the time. Like it's an investment. It's an investment. It's like, it's mm-hmm. a treat and you get to enjoy this. I guess some people do love to be hard asses and, and that could be necessary at time, but I, that's not the type of coaching I want to do. I want to have just this really uplifting, warm coaching that people who are drawn to me will want, and maybe they'll want something else afterward, but that's how I feel good and in integrity with myself too. Mm -hmm. I love that approach. And I think it's, I think it's really important. One of the most surprising things I found in the, the somatic work that I do is like how difficult or how foreign it was for people to recognize, like when they feel good or to actually stay in the feeling, you know, quote unquote, good. And it's, it's been really, um, it's really shaped, honestly, how I like to practice because I'm like, let's just start here. Like, yes, I work with trauma, but let's not go to the 
deepest part of your trauma. Let's start with like, did you feel good at all in yourself today? Like, what was that like? Can we build on that capacity a little bit? I love that approach. And I love that you just sound so clear and aligned with your purpose and with what you're, how you like to coach and what you like to do. I think that in itself, just that clarity is, is really refreshing. And I'm sure a lot of people are drawn to it. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Can you talk a little bit more about like some of the I am statements and like ways that we can come up with those that don't feel too like cheesy or um, that, because I know it can be a little bit silly at first sometimes to like say all these nice things to ourselves, but then it does feel really good. Is there a process that um, you could share with us today or part of a process about how we could develop some I am statements that work for who we are? Yeah. So just spitballing. You could look at three areas in your life. They could be an area where you achieve success, accomplished a goal, or just an area that you know you're really good at. Like myself, I'm a very good uh, homemaker, <laughs> a working <laughs> homemaker, but I, that, I just, I love that. I'm really passionate in that area. So um, there's a list and it's, I can give you links if you put links in the show notes, but um, there's this um, list I have on my site of all these empowering words. And you would think, okay, so to use my homemaker example, all right. So when I'm in my like cleaning, organizing mood, when I feel really in the flow with that, what am I? Okay. I'm, I'm hardworking. I'm creative. I'm intuitive. Like I know what needs to be done. So you have all these words and I tell people to go crazy. And some of them are going to be kind of close to each other, but you don't need to be like, oh, these are close. I'm not going to use them. Like put them both in. The idea of this through the process is to have like, I don't know, 20 to 30 things that you can say about yourself. This is not time to be coy. And then it is a bit, it does feel a bit cheesy and scary at the beginning, but what I do after I have all those words, if someone has a journal practice, they can write that in the front of their journal and they can reference it during their, you know, daily or multiple time a week journal practice. And um, if you want to listen to it, though, you just open up your voice recorder on your phone and make a voice memo. And I do like I am and then you say the word and then I am and the next one. And you can maybe spruce it up a little if there's words that really stand out. And then I listen to that. I listen to it several times a week. I won't sit here and be like, I listen to it every day, (laughs) every morning and every evening. But I listen to it when I need that boost. And then different words pop out at different times, which is cool to see over, over time. And I'm, I suggest it as really relaxed. You can do it during a more traditional meditation when you're sitting or just when you're walking around making coffee or going on a walk, seeing what comes through. But yeah, that's, that's what you can do. And it's one of those things you can just listen to it yourself. You don't have to, you don't have to let other people hear it. Um, and I'm like, no one can see me right now, but I'm smiling just as I think about it. Um, so yeah, like maybe it is like, and I totally mean what I get what you mean by cheesy, but I think it's like a good cheesy to lean into. <laughs> I agree. And I, and I said that not because I'm like, Oh, it's <laughs> cheesy. Let's not do it. But it's, um, I think that could be a barrier sometimes for mm-hmm. people of like, Oh, I feel so silly, but like, just feel silly and just try it and see, maybe you'll end up smiling. Like, um, Jocelyn, who has this beautiful smile, which is so delightful to look at. And one thing I would add on to that, and I put this on the site too, is that 
and this is the thing I, I totally get like with some affirmations, I listen to them and I'm just like, oh my God, this is so, <laughs> but you know, the thing with affirmations is your subconscious mind or just even your conscious mind has to agree with it. And if you don't like, for example, the very typical, like I am a wealthy woman, you know, my body feels great when you are not a wealthy woman, however, you're looking at wealth or your body doesn't feel great. It's hard. But with these, these are words that you agreed with. These are words that you have chosen. So you don't have to like work against them as hard as Uh you typically do with a lot of affirmations. So that I do like. I love what you said that you brought up the subconscious mind too, because I've always, because I work a lot with the subconscious mind and yeah, when we're telling ourselves things that just aren't true and there, there isn't that ring of truth in us, it's, I don't think it works. Uh, It certainly doesn't work as well as when we're pulling from this list of words where we have kind of validated evidence of how those are true in our own life previously, then it's like our, our whole self can really take that in and be like, Oh yeah, like I am a really great homemaker. And, um, this shows up in, you know, and I'm intuitive and whatever the words are. Yeah. I like that a lot. How have you, since you started using the, I am affirmation statements, like what kind of a difference have you noticed in your own life? Hmm. You know, just that, just starting the day off. Cause when I do listen to it, it tends to be in the morning on the right foot. Um, not thinking of all the stuff that could go wrong, the stuff that could improve just that really grounding reminder of these things. And even though it's building oneself up in this way of your greatness, it's also very humbling as well, because I think there can, there can also be a lot of ego in the, Oh, I'm so this, and all these things are like, so like wrong with me. We can really feed into that too and start to wear some of those things. I like to say often, like as a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. So it's just coming back and being like, Nope, I am good. There's a lot of good things about me. And it's helped remind me too that there's a lot of good things about other people as well, which should just be so stinking obvious. But when you have these really charged years, sometimes (laughs) I get a little um, I get a little cynical. And sometimes I have to like step back and and not process all the time. Oh, this person's like doing that. They must be doing this because this happened in their life or all this is like coming through just being like, you know, that person like is a good person. They have a lot of things going for them as well. So it's made me kinder to myself and it's made me kinder and more patient with other people. At least, you know, I, I tend to internalize things. So it's never that I've said anything out loud, but in my head, I'm kinder. That's really nice. I mean, and I think that does affect overall, like how we move through our days. Like when we feel kinder to ourselves and other people, it allows us a little bit more space so that we're not just hyper reactive all the time. I think when, yeah. Tell us about your book, because I feel like that ties in a little bit with your skillful qualities as a, as a homemaker. Is, is that correct? <laughs> is that correct? Did you say that's a, a leap worth making? Yes. Yes. Recovering the home. And you know what? It had a a resurgence uh, last year when I was on a podcast and talked about it because I wrote it in 2019, started it maybe like April, finished it in October. And in October that same month, I had surgery. So just like the the rush of writing it, not the rush of writing it, but going through that whole process and just being really excited to have surgery. 
just I was in a lot of pain at the time. I was just so done with it and I needed a lot of space. And then it came back a little and I still wasn't certain because um, like many writers, I fight the fact that I'm a writer. I'm like, oh, anyone could do this or like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. So I've actually started putting a lot more work into the website on it. But with Recovering the Home, it is a decluttering guide for sober women, um, though anyone could read it, men, they, them, just wrote for women (laughs) for those pronouns. And it was the idea that, you know, when I got sober, I noticed there was so much talk about how to feel comfortable in my sobriety at work or at a party or out in the world, which makes total sense, but that there wasn't as much talk about how to feel comfortable in my sobriety in my own home. And when I was a few months sober, I realized, especially looking in my closet, because I was someone who used to buy for my dream life, like a lot of the things I own, like don't make sense anymore. I was trying to be something I wasn't, or I would have very obvious things. Like I had a a plaque that said champagne for breakfast. So (laughs) I started decluttering. I, I did the Marie Kondo method. I actually super loved it. But over time I thought, how can I adjust this for sober individuals? So I came up with a four step process that you take through each room of your home And in each chapter, in each room, I share a personal story about what my experience was like in that space before I got sober. And then I also give some tips and guidance. And what I will toot my horn and say that I bring to the book is just a lot of compassion. Just be gentle with yourself as you're going through it. I think with decluttering now, there's an understanding that it's not just getting rid of stuff that you're going to dredge up a lot in your life, some good, some not so great. And when it's around something like recovery, there's um, a potential to dredge up a lot of not so great things. So to just be kind with yourself and to know that the end result isn't to expect a home that you have a home that is Pinterest perfect, (laughs) that is beautiful for, you know, a blog or social media. It's just a space that you feel comfortable and write in. So yeah, it's been it's been really lovely writing more blogs for it and being like, hot damn, this was good. And it could help a lot of people. And especially this year too, or this past year as well, being in our home so much. Maybe I'll do like an extended chapter. <laughs> yeah, that. absolutely. And I think that's such a wonderful, a wonderful point to make that there isn't a lot of talk about how to recover in our homes. And I think for so many of us, like we ended up just drinking at home, being isolated, kind of wallowing in our, I'll just speak only for myself, like in our home environments. I remember I used to just like tuck in my bed and like eat takeout and watch TV and like just huddle in this corner that like, as I think about it now, I'm like, that's so gross. Like I, I don't eat in my bed anymore. Thank you, sobriety. Uh, so I think that's a wonderful just focus to have is how can we create homes that support our recovery and feel like us? And can you, are you, can I ask you if you could share some of the four-step process mm-hmm. or maybe, okay, great. Yeah. It's like, you can buy that in the book. No, <laughs> no, I even like, shared maybe j- j- just share one of the steps. And give us no, a I share it. Um, I share it in the website too. Um, so the first step is understanding. So I'll just use the closet because that's a space that a lot of people have practice going through as their closet. I actually pull it out separately from the bedroom. So you would just look at your closet and all your clothes and accessories and think, how does this make me feel? And be really honest. Just like, does it make me feel 
inauthentic? Does it make me feel uncomfortable? Does it make me feel um, maybe not like dirty in your closet, but you know, these things and then very quickly like flipping it. Okay. So what's the opposite? What is the opposite feeling that I want when I'm in this space? And that's a big step and an important step to take just so you don't go on to like the autopilot of just getting rid of stuff to get rid of stuff, being very, you know, clear about it. Uh, the second step is aligning and that is the decluttering step within there. I also, to make it very for the sober woman is we talk about what I call like covert or overt items. So the overt items would be the sign that says champagne for breakfast (laughs) that I own. So yeah, I probably don't need that. And then there would be the covert thing. So you were saying, for example, that you used to eat a lot of takeout in bed. So one of the examples I used was it might be a blanket, just a normal blanket that you would get at TJ Maxx, but it's the blanket that you always were like swaddled in or you're not swaddled, you were like draped in (laughs) as you were like dealing with these hangovers on the couch. Like no one else would look at that and be like, why do you not like that blanket? So looking at those, the different layers of the things that you own. Uh, The next one is reflecting and those are journaling questions and it's the same questions for each space more or less. So you get into the habit of answering them and you start to notice two patterns of what you decided to let go of in your life. So you don't go out and just like repurchase the things, Mm -hmm. which is so easy to do. I do that with my nail polish all the time, but I'm like, nail polish is $3 a bottle. You know, I'll get better at that, (laughs) but like the big things. And then the last step is personalizing. So how to remake the space, whether that's purchasing things, uh, revamping things. And I do it in such a way that like any income level can do this work. I talk about how I upgraded my bed in sobriety, but I got my bed on Craigslist for $50 from this super wealthy couple up the street. The husband bought beds for hotels and they had one in their guest bedroom (laughs) that like no one ever used. So you can play with it really with any budget. And yeah, those are the, the four steps for each space. And then I have some little reminders at the back of the book. Like if you're recovering the home with others, yeah. That's great. I know I was thinking, I was picturing my closet and my bedroom as you were talking and mentally walking through those steps. It is, I like that you talk about the um, kind of the more covert items and how do we have associations with these things? And does it remind us of our drinking days or even of any sort of painful time in our past that when we look at it, we don't feel good to just maybe it's time to let go of that. Mm, yeah, I, I definitely, I had some... I had some things. I definitely touch on some of the harder things that we might have, things that um, unfortunately women are statistically more likely to go through, how to work through those. Can you share with us a little bit about your writing process? I, uh, I have this goal of my own to write a book. And so I love talking to other writers to just ask, like, did you have a writing schedule or like, what was your process like for actually writing the book? Mm. <laughs> so I worked with a writing coach, which was absolutely fantastic. Her name's Emily. And I'm trying to think if we really set up a writing schedule. I was a writing major, so I at least had that that habit in, but again, was not the sit your butt down in the seat every day, get this much done. It was it fueled me. So I would I would sit down and just write what needed to be completed and then I would take a little bit of time. You know, the bathroom actually was really hard to write that that chapter 
got me a little more. Um, and there was a part where I took like a three week break. That was really nice. But I, I know this is not the best <laughs> example of what my writing process was. Um, I did a lot of, I did a lot of planning at the beginning that helped, but yeah, as a writer, I've always been a little sporadic. It's when the mood takes me, but I find that creativity encourages more creativity. So if I can stay in that flow, it's pretty good. If I get off it, it's a bit harder to get back on, but I guess I would say too, if you're ever interested in, in writing a book, you or anyone out there and it's something that you know you wanted to do and are looking for that accountability, writing coaches are really good. <laughs> it was really enjoyable to not do it alone. Yeah, I can imagine. I feel like that's the biggest thing is even if there's traction to get started, I'm like, I, I need someone to just be there with me and mm. keep me, I guess, accountable and just sort of involved in the process. I feel like that'd be so helpful to have someone else. So it's cool. one of those yeah. under promise over deliver <laughs> things. That was nice. Like she, she was a mom and she was obviously a coach and she was working. So she very much had that approach of you're probably not going to sit down and write every day. So if it's one day a week, hold yourself to that and do it rather than having that resistance. And I, I personally feel like some of my amazing, amazing male writing teachers, like wouldn't have that, <laughs> wouldn't have that approach to it. So yeah. it was really nice to hear that you could have some gentle, loving space in your writing that you don't need to be doing it like every single day and forcing yourself, like with all things, writing mindset work, spirituality stuff, it's got to have some time to breathe. <laughs> I love that approach. And it feels so much better than that. Like very, it is very male driven, I think, or testosterone fuel to this, like get her done and I'm crushing it and I'm killing it. And it's like, I don't want to kill stuff all day. I want to like breathe and enjoy my life. And yeah, like have there to be room for the creativity to, to flow through and to cultivate more of that. It feels just feels better. Mm. And I know we chatted a little bit just around before we turn the mics on around your recovery journey and kind of moving away from 12 step recovery. And I have a similar story in that I, I started in 12 step recovery. And then for the past year, maybe a little bit more than a year, I have really moved away from that. And I talked to a lot of women who are either going through this or have gone through it and sort of the difficulties and a lot of the emotions that come up around it. And I was just curious if you could share a little bit about your own process with that. Yeah. So Let's see. I left at four years, but when I was two and a half years, I started going to therapy and that's when things kind of shifted a little. They were, I was already, I did a lot of service. Let's just put it that way. I did a lot of service work. I did district. So I think that that can really open your eyes <laughs> Yeah. To, to what goes on, you know, seeing people in a not meeting scenario. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I was doing the Zoom meetings. I actually didn't mind the Zoom meetings. And I I don't know. I guess I always just had this little bit of resistance of this doesn't take into consideration that, you know, women get sober. Like it's like we all know it's like a very like male way of looking at things. And it also didn't take into a lot of consideration if you're not white. And I stopped going around the time of the George Floyd murders because I was like, hell in the no, am I going to go to a meeting during this time? And I just knew it wasn't going to be a space where, where I could really go and, and talk about you know, what was going on in, in any depth. And I never thought that I was going to drink over it at all, but that's kind of the purpose of 
being able to go to those meetings is to be able to talk about life and what's going on and the stressors and how that plays into recovery. But when you have, you know, quote, outside issues, mm-hmm. it, it gets a little challenging. And the beauty of all the Zoom meetings that were happening was you could go to meetings around the world. So very easily. So I went to several uh, Black AA meetings and, you know, hearing some pretty horrific stories. <laughs> but after people got that out, just settling in and, and recognizing it's not even just that. It's the fact that even if you're in a, a room full of people, even if I was in a room full of other Black women, it was still very much the language that wasn't working for me and the mentality of, you know, always kind of being wrong and damaged and needing to go to these meetings constantly in order to maintain some semblance of a life. So it was a it it was a hard change to make. It was a change that I wanted to make. But I think what also was hard was back when meetings were open was when I would ask to speak and go places and it's like, you know, how do you do it? Of course, it helped at the beginning. Um, I can't say that it didn't, but a lot of the ground that I made in recovery was when I went to therapy and when I started doing a lot of inner work. So it was just challenging to to say those things or to pretend that it had been all, you know, all AA. So I went on whenever I make a big change in my life, whether it's getting off of Instagram or leaving a major recovery group, I do a lot of research and, you know, reading blogs and listening to podcasts and just getting myself to a place where I can feel comfortable to make that change. And, and, you know, I did it. And I think the thing that's hard is, I wish it did have a culture of people being able to come and go. Mm-hmm. Like theoretically, I could see myself once in a blue moon, like popping into this women's meeting I liked, though there at times there was like a lot of shame, unfortunately, there of like not going to enough meetings or this or that. But it, it still was a warm place, but that's just kind of not how the system works. And there's a lot of questions and and concerns about what you're doing or what you're not doing. So I guess if that ever changed, I wouldn't say I would never go back, but just that language of, you know, looking at the wrongs and it just wasn't, it just wasn't working for me. Yeah. It's wonderful to know too, when it's not working and to be able to move away from it. And, and thank you for sharing, because I do feel like it can be a decision that where there is some, some guilt or some shame or really some questioning for women. And certainly for me, I was like, oh, am I, am I destined to relapse if I don't go to AA? And and the answer is, you know, no, not necessarily. There are a lot of other support systems for recovery. And I had a similar experience in that my work with my therapist was so profound and so incredibly helpful to just bring me into the fullness of my being, like not even necessarily as a woman in recovery, but just as you know, Alice, the human, um, and (laughs) that should be the name of a band that I start once I learn to play the guitar. (laughs) I love it. I've got to pick it up though. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know what I was going to say is that I, I agree with the languaging too. I went to a meeting where a dear friend that I'd known from what had been my home group had passed away and he, his, um, some of his children were at the meeting and it's a meeting that I liked a lot, but there was so much of the language of like, I'm, we're diseased and, and I, like, I remember just in my body feeling such strong, like, no, this isn't true. I don't want to go around saying that I'm diseased. I don't believe it like inside, like I, I know I can't drink, but no, I'm not, you know, this diseased person that constantly needs to be in a state of struggle. Um, so I just, I don't think that's, that's true. So I think it is helpful for other women and, and other people to hear that 
you can leave a 12-step program if it's the right thing for you and, and certainly to have other means of support if you need that. But I think it's useful. Yeah. I, it was just hard with the work I was doing in therapy and then my own work of of really you know, building myself up. And then I was like, I can't keep going to places that are like, but you're not going to build yourself up. You got, it was just, it was working against each other mm. and it didn't feel, it didn't feel authentic. And I love the word authentic. I wanted to make a resurgence, but it's true. It just did not, it didn't feel authentic. And, you know, stepping away is it's, it is hard because there is in some places, maybe more open or not, it can be scary to step away. It, there could be some some backlash. Um, thankfully, I really didn't get any. But it's just I something I say a lot in my writing about anything is like you know I'm the one that needs to go to bed at night with my decisions, mm-hmm. and like you're the one that needs to go to bed at night with your decisions. Um, and I guess if there is one other thing that I would add on, <laughs> that's like a little controversial, my my snappy sassy side is, you know, I, I just can't think of also a lot of other places, even like my work, where you're just so discouraged of saying anything negative or anything that isn't positive about an organization. Like if my work was like, you can't say things about it negatively to other you know people, you can't leave reviews about it. I'd be like, excuse me. Like, obviously, yeah, if I'm going around screaming that I don't like my job, I might lose my job. But, you know, that opportunity is there. But there really is that unfortunate, like, if, if you step out and say something that doesn't go along with it being, you know, the greatest thing since <laughs> sliced bread, there can be some pretty huge ramifications for it. And, you know, this isn't a conversation I could have had with you at like three months out, but now it's like, that's just weird. We're allowed to not like everything that goes on in an organization, like, duh. Yeah. So that's my kind of my thing I'll say <laughs> about that. If anyone is on, on a fence and wondering um, and is fearful is like, that's just kind of strange behavior and and we're allowed to to change and grow in recovery and find the avenues that feel that feel best for us and work best for us absolutely i love that you said that cuz it's true i think when i was in my transitionary period yeah i was like scared to really speak up or to talk about it but at this point it is it's like you look back and you're like wait a minute why why shouldn't i be able to say this didn't work for me or this aspect of this uh, program didn't work for me So I relate and I'm glad that you shared that. One more thing I wanted to ask you about is something that I was reading through your blogs and I really encourage everyone to go check out Jocelyn's website. She has a lot of really cool resources on there. Her blogs are wonderful. As you were talking about the importance of setting realistic goals and, uh, and I really like your take on it too, of like, yes, it's good to have these bigger goals as well, but set goals that you can meet because it feels really good to meet goals. And I agree. And I love that perspective. And so I would just love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a piece. I mean, I, ju- I just posted it, but it, I, I don't think I also could have written it if I was still on Instagram. <laughs> that's kind of huh. what I was, you know, referencing was this, this big, yeah, like always just making these super duper huge goals, especially in business, like finance and income goals. And I think it's, it's great if you put those out there, but there really is something sweet about experiencing success. And that doesn't need to be this once a year thing. And it just, it gets the momentum going. And, and one thing I pointed out in that blog as well, is that when you actually achieve what you were going after, you go through the whole process of achievement, which is the highs and the lows and 
getting back on the wagon because we all fall off some sort of wagon and knowing what it's like to hit roadblocks, like knowing what resistance feels like for you. And you'll start to notice a pattern of how it's usually always going to show up when you're getting close to achieving something or in the middle of it. And if you never get to achieve something, then then you don't you don't get to know what that's like. And it's a little easier in a sense to to quote hack your way there. Maybe not hack your way there, but they're just like they're like mile markers, so to speak. So I am all about realistic goals. And I think realistic goals become sustainable goals. And they become goals that are your goals and not goals that you kind of see online. So you think, oh, that should be one of my goals. It's like, you know, what do I actually want to achieve in this six to nine month period? And yeah, go out there and throw some pretty, pretty big, crazy goals from time to time. But like, don't have those be all your goals because you're just going to be like living on the edge of something. I love the comfort zone. I think, I think we, I think we poo-poo the comfort zone so much, but you're just always going to be living at your edge of something, always living in discomfort, always living in resistance in a way. And I don't think we need to do that. Like we can have fun with our goals. So yeah, that's what that whole post was about. And I haven't done a post on this yet, but I will say also celebrate your goals. I was very bad about that (laughs) for a long time. Like when I wrote recovering the home, my coach was like, how are you going to celebrate? And I was like, finishing the book is a celebration. Like, why should I be rewarded for that? (laughs) And now I celebrate my goals. Like when I did my first course, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a Kobo. I was kind of considering it, but it's like, yeah, I'll get a Kobo or what's yeah. wait, what's a Kobo? Oh, a Kobo is an e-reader. It's like the, um, it's the Canadian version of Amazon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was like, I'll buy like an e-reader or I'll go get a massage, you know, not something completely outside of the norm of what I would do, but just something that feels good to say, like I did it. That's so great. I, you're like talking me into buying a lift ticket today to go snowboarding because <laughs> I, I did, <laughs> I put on my webinar last night and, um, it's, uh, it kind of led into the launch of my course and it's been really cool to have people sign up for the course. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should celebrate this. It's exciting. Um, it's really fun. And I really want to go snowboarding. <laughs> I forgot. So, where are you? I'm in park city, Utah, uh, this week house sitting. And it's actually the last weekend that the mountain is open. So I went on Wednesday for a few hours. The lift tickets are just really pricey, but I'm like, yeah, I'm here. So Oh, that's lovely. My friend's parents have a place out, or I guess they retired to Utah. And I'm always like, do they call it the Ta? And she's like, no, no one calls it the Ta. I'm like, you need to go get it started out there because it (laughs) seems like, so, you know, start spreading the word. I'm going to get a t-shirt made. (laughs) I've never been there, but I'm like, seems like a plausible nickname. Don't know why it hasn't been picked up. So especially in these mountain towns, maybe I'll start that today. I'll be on the lift. I'll be like, he's liking the Ta. Please do I'm it. Like, I'm like all crazy with my mask and my goggles and my helmet. So it'll be like trying to scoot away. That's um. your realistic goal. So that's the three people. <laughs> Five is a stretch and enjoy the day. That's great. Thanks, Jocelyn. Um, and then I know you said you love reading and uh, I am in the market for a new Audible book because I got to drive home uh, next week. What are some of your favorites? Oh, I was just looking to see if my Kobo was next to me and it isn't. Could be one so, fiction, one nonfiction. Yeah. So a fiction one I just read, I'm going to butcher the title, but if you Google it in, you'll definitely find it. It's like the Southern Ladies Book Club Guide to Slaying Vampires. Hmm. It's something like that. Uh, the photo is of a peach that has fangs. It was really good. 
is so good. <laughs> and then a nonfiction one would be, I believe it's called An American Fire, A Love Story. And it was written by a journalist a few years back about this couple that was starting arsons in this small, maybe West Virginia town. Just you know, really good, solid writing, super interesting. I'm surprised I don't have a podcast on it, but those are two that stand out. Thanks. I'll check those out. I always love book recommendations. Thank you so much for being here, Jocelyn. Do you have anything that you'd like to promote or anything else that you'd like to tell people before we sign off today? And I'll make sure all of your links are in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. So the promotion. I don't have anything running right now, except I am open for one-on-one coaching. I have all the information on the website. And But before you even go there, when you go onto my website, there's a little free button in the top. Uh, you can check out the Revealing Your Greatness process. And it's right there. You don't have to sign up for an email list. You don't need to download anything. Just go through that. Let it sink in for a few weeks, see how it feels. And Yeah. And then my book, my book's always available. I'll make sure I send you the link for that. Perfect. And the book is Recovering the Home. Yeah. By Jocelyn Harvey. That's so exciting. Thank you. You wrote wrote a book. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been really nice just to chat with you today. It has. It's been great. (laughs) All right. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.